0: Welcome to the Real Estate Roundtable podcast, where we sit down with some of the most successful real estate agents, brokers, and team leaders to learn about their journeys in this industry. I'm your host, Art Battuzzi, and as a seasoned real estate agent of 29 years, I'm always fascinated by the stories of how others found success in this business. On this podcast, we'll be talking to our guests, about the obstacles they overcame, the lessons they learned, and the tips and strategies they're using in today's ever-changing market. Whether you're a real estate agent, broker, team leader, investor, or just someone interested in real estate, you're in the right place. Our guests come from a variety of backgrounds and they all have unique insights to share. We wanna have fun with these interviews But we also want to make sure that you come away with actionable tips that you can implement in your own business. New episodes will be released weekly, so be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Thanks for joining us on the Real Estate Roundtable podcast. Let's get started. Hello, everybody. This is Art Batuzzi with the Real Estate Roundtable podcast. I am so excited today because I get to interview one of the probably most important people in my real estate career and and her effect on my real estate career literally since day 1. This lady and and I've got to get props to her husband as well. The two of them were my executive um, sales managers at the first January 10th of 1995 was my first day working at her conversion. And I still celebrate that day every year. My guest is an amazing coach, an amazing mentor. She has Garnered almost every award in the Chicago area that a a real estate broker can get. In fact, she was telling me that in 2003, and I knew this already, she won the Golden Eagle Award from the Chicago Association of Realtors as the number one agent in the city, which means she's probably the number one agent in the state. So I'll talk more about her impact on me and my career in a minute, but let me introduce you all to one of my favorite people of all time, Sharon Rizzo. Hi, Sharon.
1: Hi, Art. Thank you so much for having me on your podcast. I'm very excited. It's been a while since we've really sat down and had a sort of a heart-to-heart, so this will bring back a lot of memories.
0: (laughs) Well, absolutely, and you know what an impact you and Santo have had on my career. In fact, um, I'm not kidding when when I say you were there from day one, because Sharon and I worked at a condo conversion at 111 East Chestnut. And we were in what was the living room of one of the units that faced East and North. And there was eight desks in that room. And I was facing this way and Sharon was a desk, two desks behind me to the left. And I couldn't have asked for a better place to be sitting, to be able to learn about real estate than two desks in front of Sharon Rizzo. Because just by proximity, I learned so much about the business I learned about how to negotiate with people. I learned how to troubleshoot. Uh, Just an amazing education, just listening to what she said in back of me. And then, obviously, as we went along, coaching me through deals and working with me and clients. And then as I grew in the business, Sharon and Santo were always tremendous supporters of me and of the projects that I ran, whether it was as a sales manager or as a project manager, I always had their support and have had. Now, you know, it's going on. It'll be 29 years coming up here. So when I thought about doing this podcast, Sharon was one of those people that I wanted to make sure that I interviewed because she is just a wealth of knowledge about real estate. So again, what a tremendous impact on my career you and Santo have had. Do you remember those days, Sharon?
1: Oh, my goodness. Yes, I do uh, remember those days, Arden. You know, what's interesting is that when you said that being out in the open and being seated near me made a difference, that makes me realize that the decision that I made not to have a private office... Uh, I always, I never wanted to have a private office as a sales manager. I thought it was important to be out with all of the, uh, you know, all of the sales people so that you could see what was going on and understand what was going on and being able to contribute. So, um, I realized that decision was a good one.
0: It was an excellent one. So much so that I never had as a sales manager, when I moved into that role, never had an office because I knew the uh, effect of people hearing me and as much me hearing them and what they (laughs) were saying.
1: exactly.
0: (laughs) So that I might be able to step in and correct some of the things that they were saying in a manner like you did with me. Like when I get off the phone, you go, "Mm, maybe you could have said this to that person. And I was like, oh, okay. And then, you know, see where they go from there. So it was like on the spot coaching. It was fantastic.
1: Yeah, there was a lot of of that going on at the time. And I think there were really a lot of people to learn from who were really uh, influential in the business at that time. Not just myself, but other people as well.
0: Well, I got lucky to be in the same room with you. Santo was in that other room but I was I was in the room with you and I could still tell you who was at every desk.
1: Oh my gosh, the- I'm not sure oh, I yeah. could. I, I- oh,
0: I absolutely could. We, we don't need to go through them here, but no. offline, I'll take you through them. So one of the reasons that I wanted to uh, have you as a guest is because you don't come from what people would consider to be a typical real estate background, to be as successful in real estate as you have been. So, why don't you tell us a little bit about how you got started, not in real estate, but a couple of the jobs or careers you had before you got into real estate?
1: Well, uh, probably not typical, I suppose, but. Uh... Um, I actually are, went to Indiana University uh, and got a bachelor's and master's degree in theater. I wanted to be an actress in New York, and my mother uh, convinced me, as a teacher and a very practical individual, that probably the smart thing to do would be to get a degree in something that you really could get a job in, rather than <laughs> you know theater. You know, you want to be a movie star or an actress. Well. So I I followed her advice and ended up with a master's degree in speech pathology and audiology and did work in that as a part-time job for about 15 years right out of graduate school. All the while also um, doing modeling uh, for Playboy Models which uh, when you hear Playboy Models, everybody went, oh my goodness. Uh, You know, are you in the magazine and uh, actually Playboy Models was owned by Hugh Hefner, but was a separate enterprise, just like any other modeling agency. And I was under contract to them uh, for about 15 years as well and lived in the Playboy Mansion for two years so that I could write a book about that. Uh, All the people that we met, I mean, who were coming through there, then this was in the late 60s and before Hefner moved out to California to the famous Playboy Mansion out there. This was the one at uh, in the Gold Coast at 1340 North State Parkway. So it was wow. very exciting and glamorous for a kid from Indiana who came from a small town and moved to Chicago and moved directly into the Playboy Mansion from Indiana University. <laughs> so my parents were appalled. They were like, where are you living? Um, but it really was a very secure place for a young girl. Uh, we had uh, 24-hour security, cameras everywhere, um, a house mother, sort of like a sorority almost. And uh, it, was a, it was a very exciting place for me. So uh, that was my background. I also got into broadcasting with NBC during this time. Uh, and was a medical reporter for a news station for NBC for a while during that time, wow. so did a lot of public speaking, and so all of that, in some way, prepare you really for real estate because I think one of the most important assets is communication in Probably any a lot of professions unless you're in a lab somewhere and you don't have to communicate with people. But for the most part, uh, I think communication is very very important, and that's one thing that I, I learned early on uh, because one of my major uh, jobs with Playboy actually was narration. Uh, I was a spokesperson for uh, a lot of major corporations and traveled about a hundred thousand miles a year for Cadillac, Lincoln, Mercury some very major uh, companies and uh, that led into the broadcasting. And uh, then when you get to be a certain age, namely maybe in your mid thirties or so, uh, you think, oh, I'm gonna, you know, I don't know whether I wanna, you know, be on all the time or you want to, um, you know, compete with the 22 year olds anymore. So I was really looking for another career at that point. And my husband was with American Invesco right out of college, had started with them. And he said, why don't you think about real estate? And I thought, gee, that's kind of interesting. It's flexible. You uh, have some, uh, you you know, you're an independent contractor. And I think because you're an independent contractor, one of the most important qualities you need to have is some discipline, because you don't have someone over you all the time. You don't have to report nine to five to a company like you do in many, many jobs. So it was sort of a natural for me. And I left my job at the University of Chicago, uh, started with American Invesco, uh, told my agent in modeling I, I was done. I didn't want to do any more. Uh, uh, I didn't want to model anymore at all. And I started full-time in real estate. And uh, that was before I met you, Art, because I was in the business for a while. Uh, before yep. we met in, was it 1994 or 1995?
0: Yep. Uh, well, we met in 94, but I went to work for you in 95.
1: In 95, that's correct. So uh, so I was in the business, let's see, I started in 78, I believe. So I, yeah, I was in the business then for several years, yeah, uh, no. quite a few years before uh, I met you and had done a lot of condominium conversions for American Invesco as a sales manager and sales manager of a brokerage office. And so it was a great, great way to learn the business at that time.
0: Yeah, I think that um, one of the things that I look back on, Sharon, is <laughs> um, when I look at people coming into the business today, or even really over the last 10 years, that we had a unique opportunity. Because today, one of the major things that people have to do, brokers have to do, is to learn how to generate their own leads, right? But back then, and, and I had no idea what a luxury this was until, you know, you stopped doing it, is that, you know, the, the company would advertise and we would be in our offices and we would be waiting to some degree would be waiting for people to show up and we would take them around the building and we would, you know, discuss the benefits of the building. And and there was always a, a line of people coming in the door, right? And so, you know, we were not out there looking for our own leads. They were walking in and it, we really had to become great closers, people who can take the person walking in the door and convince them that this was the place that they wanted to buy their home, right? So, you know, knowing what I know now, had I known that then, I would have appreciated a heck of a lot more the people walking in the door, right? And so we just had those built-ins. I don't know if you remember, but there was, there was weekends at, at 111 East Chestnut, where I remember getting 15 or 18 walk-ins a day. And we had, what, 15, 18, 20 salespeople work in that building?
1: Exactly. Right? Exactly. And you're right. I mean, it was a luxury that, of course, we didn't realize at the time was such a luxury. Uh, and, of course, everybody was judged on what their percentage uh, was of closing based on the number of, of walk-ins, which is what we call them men were walk-ins that, that you had. Uh, and we learned a lot from uh, development. And now today, there are so few, in fact, there are no condominium conversions. I don't know of any at all right now that are major. There might be a small one here and there, but in terms of a major development being uh, converted into condominium now, uh, we have deconversions, which I happen to be working on now. But the conversion business, which was huge in the 80s and 90s, even 70s, 80s, and 90s, uh, maybe up into the early 2000s, right before the market crash in, in 2007 and eight, you just don't see it anymore at all. Uh, and that was a great way to learn. Now everybody is buying Zillow leads and you know, uh, doing other things that we just, we had automatically from the advertising that the developer did for us. So we were spoiled, right? We were spoiled and didn't realize it.
0: Yeah, I would tell you, I agree with that 100%. I had no idea. In fact, during my classes, I really try to get students to understand that it was so different that being able to to get out there and generate. Now, again, that's for those of us that were on project, on conversions. You know, that was, it was such a niche business that we were in at that time, you know, because people, when they think about real estate, they don't think about condominium conversions for the most part. Right.
1: No, no, not today. Absolutely not.
0: But even then it was still, you know, when you ran into sales, real estate people, a lot of them worked for the brokerage offices right. and we're trying to do brokerage. Right. <laughs> So, when I would say to somebody, "Oh, I work at a condo conversion," they'd sort of cock their head and go, "What?" And I do remember when I interviewed with um Desiree and and Nick, and they talked about condo conversions. I was like, "I have no idea what this is." i they they said, "You know, people come to us. We stay in a building, and they come to us." So I had no idea. And then once I got into it, and once, you know, I, I got trained up by you and Santo and some of the other folks, you know, it, it really was just that's what I thought real estate was,
1: right? A huge byproduct art of that as well. You're absolutely right. And, but a huge byproduct of that is that one of the things that we really did with condominium conversions was learn how to sell to investors. Uh, a lot of people, of course, came in who wanted to live there, and that was great. So that was more like what you'd run into with general brokerage. Uh, however, uh, Santo, of course, sold a huge amount to because he believed that real estate was a vehicle. He sold not the real estate, but what the real estate did for you. It's gonna It's going to help you. He truly believed it, and it was true, that... Uh, it did appreciate generally 10% per year, which if you put 10% down, that's hundred percent return on your money and you can leverage it with a, a lender, of course, uh, what, where else can you possibly do that and get a tax break on top of it? So all of that, uh, the great thing about selling to an investor and selling to what the real estate is going to do for you, meaning help you buy your second home, help send your kids to college. Uh, you know, getting that extra car or whatever that you want, when you do that, then you're, you can always create your own deal down the line, if you truly believe that. And uh, it was a different way of teaching. And it, it served us very well to this day. Because if you find a good deal out there in the brokerage community right now, but it's still a great deal, why not sell it to an investor just like we did in those days? So you can create a deal sort of out of thin air by looking for something good and then going to find the right buyer for it, as opposed to waiting for someone who wants to sell their home every seven years or someone who wants to buy a home. So it it gives you a lot of extra leverage and makes you a lot of extra money as well with that kind of training that we had.
0: Absolutely. And, you know, here's the thing, too, is. The sheer volume of walk-ins that we had really amped up the learning curve in terms of learning this business, in terms of learning how to negotiate, learning what, you know, how to talk to people, learning how to listen, which, you know, I you, you, you spent a little bit of time with me early on trying to get me to stop talking as much and to listen more. Oh. Absolutely, I remember those moments.
1: Uh it's your background, your stand-up comedian background, art, and you're a great speaker, you know, and uh, so it was it was kind of hard to get you to stop talking, but that can serve you very well as well. So, and it serves you very well today in your teaching career.
0: Well, yes, that's true, but I certainly took to heart what you had said, which is, look, listen twice as much as you talk, buddy. <laughs> right and write down the answers. That was another thing that you you said to me is, is I noticed you're not really writing down notes. I'm like, oh, I'm going to remember this stuff. And then I'm like, no, you're not. And and write it down. And boy, were you correct. Because with the number of people we had coming in, I would mix people up. I'd be like, what was that guy? Who was that guy? And so then I learned to write down the, the particulars that somebody was interested in and why and and, and and I've taken those skills and I uh, or what you taught me, and I've obviously taught it to future generations of salespeople. So I I, I always credit you and Santo with the base knowledge that I have of how to do this business. No doubt, hands down, I, I credit both of you for that. And I thank you for that too, by the way.
1: Oh, well, thank you. Thank you, Art. I think a lot of people used to criticize Sandro because the joke about my husband is that he never stops talking. However, uh, he would sit down with someone and really get into what their concerns were. If, if someone doesn't have a concern or an objection, usually when they're going to drop $300,000 on a one bedroom somewhere, generally they're not serious buyers. So we have to take those concerns and those objections and welcome them, work with them so that the very concern or objection becomes the very reason to buy. Absolutely. And that's what uh, Santo in particular was such a master at. And, uh, so you have to be a good listener and you're a good speaker, but I think you're a good listener as well. So,
0: well, I've learned, thank you. I have learned how to be a great listener because, uh, I lost so many deals by just talking and not really hearing what people were saying to me. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I finally got on board with that and, and had the ability to close people and to actually get them to close on. The, the properties that we wanted them to close on. Hey there, Real Estate Roundtable podcast listeners. I want to take a moment to tell you about our sponsor, I Love Real Estate School. If you're looking to get your real estate license or fulfilling your continuing education requirements, I Love Real Estate School has got you covered. As an Illinois licensed school, they offer the state required broker pre-license course, managing broker pre-license courses, post-licensing courses, and continuing education. And the best part, you can take the courses either through their live stream with a live instructor or online home study. So no matter where you are, you can get the education you need to take your real estate career to the next level. I Love Real Estate School is committed to helping you succeed in the industry. That's why they offer comprehensive, high-quality education at an affordable price. So, if you're ready to start your real estate journey or stay up to date with your continuing education, head on over to I Love iloverealestateschool.com today to learn more. So, you started out in real estate, you, you did, you're doing the condo conversion thing, you and Santo, and, and you spent many, many, many years working for American Invesco, which is where we met. And then, um, and during those years, you sold a lot of real estate, right?
1: Oh, yes. A lot of real estate.
0: <laughs> and and again, you you tended to win a lot of different awards, that type of thing. And then at some point, um, you and Santo went off and started uh, the Rizzo Group.
1: Right. And he, uh, talk about bad timing, Art. <laughs> I had always considered myself pretty fortunate, and, and I have been very fortunate for the most part. But uh, we started Rizzo Realty Group at the world's worst time because we started it in 2006 and I invested in a huge office that was like 12,000 square feet. It was crazy on two different levels, plus an office on the first floor. And that was right at the time when technology was taking over and people were just starting to come into the office less. Now people har- hardly come into the office at all, but they were starting to come into the office less and here we are with this huge office, not really kind of getting it that people didn't need these huge cubicles anymore uh, because they just, you know, technology was coming into the picture much more than it had been in the past. And then, of course, uh, we're still focusing on investments. Everything was great. We did very well in 2006, got up to 100 agents, opened up three offices in Arizona because we were selling second homes in Arizona as well, doing a lot of investment there. And then guess what happens in 2008? The market crashed. Yep. Um, and you just couldn't get financing anymore for investments at all. I mean, it was very, very difficult. So we, we had to give up that company. and But I kept the Rizzo Group and thought, well, I can do this with another company. And so I took a lot of those same agents and we went to Caney & Stray. We were with them for a while until the manager left there. And then we went to Dreamtown and did very well with Dreamtown. We're always number one or two team there uh, in our office, uh, which we had in Lincoln Square. Uh, And then as you know, we went uh, with uh, Chip Cornelius who was uh, a great guy. Um, who had a company called Chicagoland Realty Services. And uh, that was bought out by Coldwell Banker. And uh, then we were with Coldwell Banker for a while. And now we switched about two years ago and are now with Compass, which is the largest independent brokerage in the country. Uh, They have offices all throughout the country, especially lots in California, Florida, um, New York, uh, the East Coast, Midwest, of course, several offices here in Chicago and the North Shore. So uh, very highly tech technical company. I mean, high technology compass is known for that. Uh, of course, you have to be able to take advantage of the technology, which a lot of my teammates are able to do. I'm not as techie as I would like to be, but I have a personal assistant who does all of my technology for me. So <laughs> that helps a little bit.
0: For sure. Well, you know, let's talk about the technology aspect for a second, not necessarily the compass, but overall. So, you know, you started your career in, in the seventies and here well, we are. We didn't are even and...
1: have fax. We barely had fax machines then. I have to, I had to send couriers on a bicycle actually to deliver contracts then because, you know, we weren't always able to go out and deliver when we needed to. So uh, I would I spent a lot of money on what we called couriers at the time, which people would think, oh, my God, was this back in the Stone Age, you know. And uh, uh, and then, uh, of course, computers uh, really. Let's see. We started using computers at 111 East Chestnut. That's the yeah, first. It was in 95. November. Yeah, starting to use them on. And I fought it a little bit because I like to write up the contract with the client there and go through the contract. They would ask questions. And I felt by the time that we finished, they were very solidified in their purchase, which uh, I thought the computer kind of took that away. Now I think about DocuSign and all of the things that we're doing that has made, I mean, you can work almost off of your iPhone today, which you know, at that point would have been inconceivable that you could do that.
0: Well, considering we never had a phone that wasn't <laughs> even on cell desk. <laughs> yeah. it, when, we, when I started, we, did, we had a phone on a desk.
1: Uh, exactly. Right? exactly.
0: And, and also when I started, um, the MLS in Chicago was a book, wasn't it?
1: It was a book. And actually the MLS was started by American Invesco actually really i mean it it, yeah it was rubloff i think there were only very very few brokerage uh firms really in chicago when when i started uh actually and uh, so it was condex and it was a big thick book like this and we had them piled up next to our desk and you would look through them and it was uh but it worked it worked but everything was much slower Uh, Of course, prices were much different then. So, if you were a million dollar producer then, today a million dollars is is not much. But then, if you were a million dollar producer, it was a big deal because studios were 25,000, then 30,000. One bedrooms were much less. Two bedrooms were, you know, I mean, at the Hancock, for example, a two bedroom was 55,000. Now it's five or 600,000 at least. Or more so that that was the difference so it took you know it was you had to do a lot of deals to get up to a million dollars
0: well and and obviously you did and and but certainly the the technology changes and has ended up benefiting our business to a great degree um just for the speed of it like you said, for the ease of it. Cause I remember you sending me out and saying, go get this signed, you know, and I'd have to get in the car and drive to somebody's house to get it signed. That's before, or just as we got fax machines too. So, you know, it, it definitely saves brokers or real estate people much more time, the technology. But I will say to you that since I learned how to close people, using the contract form, I think it's also sucked away some of the ability for people to be able to learn how to close. They just, you know, they're form fillers now. A lot of people fill out the form and then they send it to the person and they say, person's like, what does this mean? They go "I'll talk to your attorney, right? Where then we sort of had to walk our way through. And I'll never forget, you and Santo always said to me, The contract tells a story and you want to walk people through the contract form and and tell them what you know in, in layman's terms. This is what this means. This is what this means. So that by the time they got to the end, even though they still had the ability to get a lawyer involved, they felt very comfortable signing on the dotted line. And I still use that today. I even though I could docusign stuff and I do, I still take people through virtually the 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 purchase agreement. And I walk them through and said, This is what this means because I know the value of that solidity.
1: No, that's very true, Art. I think, yeah, and we would do that right with the customer right there, with the client right yeah. there. So you would walk them through, they thoroughly understood it. We our goal, and I know there were a couple of people who Uh, pretty much were sign on the dotted line period, and they were closers, but they weren't educators. And the problem with that is they would get home and then Uncle Harry would say, what are you crazy? You just bought a condominium? And they wouldn't understand why they really bought it. They wouldn't be thoroughly educated and the deal would cancel. So the way that we did it with walking them through the contract, like you said, with that personal touch making sure that they understood everything that was in the contract, they were much less likely to cancel. It was a much more solid deal when they left the office. uh, And when they got home and had to deal with some other person's objections, they would know how to answer those objections, which if they weren't really educated and they were just closed without a thorough understanding, then it would be much more likely to cancel. So uh, that's, that's that's a really important, point I think that you know we don't have today as much
0: no absolutely although again the people that I coach you know I'm always talking about how you need to understand the contract form and how you need to present it it's not just sign here 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 and here because any goofball can do that right we want the deal to close so we want to make sure you understand it so here was another thing that I learned from you. And I don't know that you're going to remember this, but you might, because you got a pretty good memory. Okay. So that, that first three months, four months that I worked with you in 95, um, the number one show on TV, I believe, was Friends. Okay? Oh, oh yeah. Thir- That's right. Thursday, Thursday night, 7 o'clock, I think, is when it came on. Now, the reason I know this is because at our office, we would have phone power night on I Thursdays, probably, what was it, like 6.30? I think it was like
1: six to, 6.30 to 8, something
0: yeah, like that. Yeah, right. 6.00 to 8.00, 6.30.
1: And remember, and stuff right.
0: like that. So, so the sales managers would, like she said, bring pizza in, and they would tack a $100 bill on the bulletin board. And the goal was whoever can get the most appointments
1: the would weekend. get the $100 yeah. bill
0: among all of the salespeople. So this was a way to incentivize salespeople <laughs> to pound the phones. Now, again, we didn't have cell phones, none of that stuff, right? So I remember, and, and the company would provide lists of phone numbers and they'd split them out and you'd get your list and they'd go, all right, go. And we would start picking up the phones, calling. And the call was really just to invite people to come to the building, right? That was the purpose, because the more people we had coming in, the more activity, the more energy, the more sales we got, right? So I remember I had done this for with you for a little while, and two or three weeks in a row, I kept getting people on the phone who were upset that I called during Friends. <laughs> They were like, the hey, hey, don't you I know did. that I'm talking, that I'm watching Friends? Why are you bothering me? This kind of thing. So one, a Friday after one of those Thursday nights, I sat down with you and I said, you know what, Sharon? I said, we, I keep getting these people who are mad that I'm calling during Friends. Maybe we should bump power hour or phone power to like 730 30." And, and not bother these people because they're mad. And you said something to me that obviously still sticks with me 29 years later, which is you said, really? I said, yeah. You said, all right, here's what I want you to do. Next week during phone power, I want you to make a note of how many people that you talk to are watching Friends. I said, okay okay, I'm going to show you. I'm gonna, all right. So I, we, the next week we start pounding the phones and I, you know, and I'm tallying it up. And at the end of the night, I, you said to me, so, and I said, well, all right, during the half hour that friends was on, I talked to 10 people. Three of them were watching friends. There you go. And you said to me, So, you're willing to throw away 70% of the people you talk to for the 30% that were watching
1: Friends?
0: (laughs) And I was like, oh, okay, I'm just going to go sit in the corner. Don't mind me. Because how, and 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 Sharon, I still use that. I
1: can't believe I said something that profound.
0: (laughs) You did, you absolutely did. And I still use that example in classes because when I talk to people about, people like, oh, I've never done real estate before. I'm afraid I'm gonna make a mistake. I'm like, look, none of you could ever make more of a stupid comment than I did when I did the whole friends thing. So you guys are all fine compared to what I did. So,
1: well, yeah, but maybe we could have picked another night when maybe not such a popular show was on during that time.
0: It didn't matter. Let's face it. We did what we did and people came in the door and they bought our places. And, and that's what we did. Right.
1: Right. And it, it worked. We certainly sold out all those buildings
0: absolutely absolutely and like then what you
1: did at the New York
0: well you know the New York private residences where I was the project manager which interestingly enough for the rest of you Sharon's daughter and by the way she has three amazing daughters um who I met I realized I met them when they were were f- relatively young I think the oldest was maybe 15 Kelly uh 15 or 16 because um, Kelly ended up working as part of my sales team yes. at the New York private residences,
1: and so, she loved it.
0: Oh, we had a blast! We had a blast, and um, and what's interesting is, you know, she's sort of a prodigy. Between you and Santo, how could your kids not really, you know, suck in all of that real estate knowledge? In fact, your daughter Kimmy. Is uh, is on your team as well currently, yes. isn't she? Yes, she is. Yeah, it was kind of a you know full circle thing. I started with you guys, and then you know Kelly, her first building was with me, and then she's gone on to do other and great things for sure. But you know it, it's the foundation that that you gave us, and that we were able to give to you know the next generation of salespeople coming up that is what really made us successful as a company now you know and and you know nick senior had been doing this by the time i got there i mean he started what in 69
1: uh maybe even earlier
0: yeah so he he was the condo king because he started in chicago the first guy to do condominiums right and and you know if he was still alive, because he just passed, it'll be it's about two years ago. Yeah. Um. Uh. He it was an amazing storyteller. He was an, an just an amazing guy to learn from, and you know you had the benefit of learning from him for you know 15 years longer than I did, but the guy was truly incredible uh, in terms of what he taught us. Yes. And and so let me ask you, how do you use? what you learned early on and what you taught people, how do you use it in your teams today?
1: Well, you know, right. The interesting thing are today is um, for the past five to six years now, um, we are doing something that if you had told me 10 years ago, I would be doing this. I would have said, what, how could you even do that? And that is condominium, Deconversions because we are now deconverting some of the very buildings that we converted into condominiums.
0: So, why don't you explain that? Because people may not know what a deconversion is.
1: Deconversion is. And I would certainly understand that because I wouldn't have thought it was even possible. How can you deconvert something that was a, a, a condominium back into a rental? I didn't even understand that that was possible. However, it is possible if you get a certain percentage of the association of the condominium association to vote for it. There is an uh, Illinois law called Article 15 of the Illinois Condominium Act, where you, if you get a certain percentage and now in the city versus the suburbs, it's now 85% of the association. It was a few years ago, 75% where you had more developers involved. Now that it's become 85%, to be honest, it's almost impossible to get that kind of a number in a large building. You have to really have strategies. We've been able to do it, um, but it is very, very tricky. Um, And that happened uh, when the market crashed in 2008. After that, believe it or not, the roles reversed where Rental, a rental building actually became more valuable than it was as a condo. Mm. And uh, there's a long story behind that that I won't get into here, but it it is true. And so uh, it was it was sort of uh, like walking backwards (laughs) where you're doing just the very reverse of, of what you were doing before. So uh, you, I was able to, I think, employ some of that knowledge that we learned uh, back in, in the day uh, here. Um, and you get involved in financing as well um, with a condominium deconversion. You have to speak to everybody individually as to why they should be willing to sell. Why? When this is their home. Now, it's much easier to work with an investor, of course, who doesn't have that. uh, It's more of a numbers game with an investor as to why they should sell versus if someone is living there and that's their home. Uh, It's much more difficult. But the reason that we're able to do this is that we pay them a very healthy premium. For example, something that might be worth $300,000 on the open market uh, today, we might pay them $380,000. For the very same unit. So that is the motivation as to why they should sell, would be strictly the premium pretty much, and possibly special assessments coming down the line. Uh, I'm not going to get into a whole deconversion thing, but uh, uh, it's it's an interesting concept that a lot of people don't understand.
0: Well, and so I I do have to ask one further question on that. Why would somebody want not not the owner but why would somebody want to buy a building that's been converted what's the benefit to them to pay this premium
1: oh the premium is because the building is there there's is an arbitrage of say maybe 150,000 because of the the market conversion now because when the market crashed it the condominiums were devalued as you know tremendously to where Uh, Prices in 2004 that we paid, for example, at 10 East Ontario still have not caught up. And this is what, 19 years later in 2023? So because of that, there is an arbitrage as a rental building if you fix it up, fix up the common areas, uh, help it to have a lot of curb appeal now, uh, fix up each individual unit and you have one ownership. As a management company now managing all of those units as rentals, uh, you can increase the rent significantly to where instead of um, you can pay a, a premium of, say, $80,000 on something that developers is actually going to make about one hundred and thirty dollars or $40,000 on. So you have to, the only way that you could possibly get even 75%, let alone 85% of an association to vote for uh, selling is if you pay them enough of a premium. It's it's pretty much all about money. Except in some people who want to live there forever, it's not about money. So those people are generally not going to vote for it. So we would give them a very nice leasing program moving forward. Um, but it's an it's an interesting new uh trend if you will uh that has been occurring in about the past six to seven years uh wow. condominium deconversions and probably the window exists for another five or six or seven years
0: wow all right excellent so that you're doing some of that obviously yes yes and we then have. and then you have a, a current team at compass um how many members are on your team
1: uh we have about 11 including myself
0: OK. And is the whole team focused on deconversions or it's regular brokerage?
1: No, the whole team is focused. Just myself and, and my husband, who is not on my team, by the way, he's still an independent broker. Uh, he uh, he and I are pretty much focused on uh, deconversions, but we're able to spill certain collateral benefits over to my team from that. Uh, but in general, the team is focused on general brokerage. Got it.
0: And so how have you found them? I mean, you know, we talk about the time before 2008. We talk about the drop. How did you weather 2020 to 22 with all the craziness in real estate due to COVID?
1: Uh, That was not easy. I mean, we, uh, we certainly struggled for a while because so much of our business was investments, of course. And all of that business just dried up completely. So we kind of had to reinvent ourselves and uh, figure out new strategies. Because when one door is closed, I do believe another opens for a different opportunity. And how are you gonna be able to take advantage of that? And for us, that was the deconversion. And we were able to deconvert about eight to 10 large buildings in the city. Uh, with another company. We we were consultants for a major company that was able to get all the capital to do this. And we're still working with that same company right now. Got and uh, so a lot of people had to reinvent themselves uh, during that time, Art. I think a lot of people got out of the business during that time. Uh, but now today, uh, I think the general brokerage business is excellent for the most part. The problem is right now is that there's very because of the higher interest rates that have now occurred in the past ooh, wow nine months even right uh, year at yeah. most uh the inventory is now depleted inventory is very low, and especially single family homes in that sweet spot of price range which is like probably Three hundred and fifty to eight hundred and fifty thousand, right in there, maybe under a million. Again, multiple offers, uh, very low inventory, and selling very, very quickly. So it can be very challenging because you're working with a buyer and they consistently lose out on the deal because they're having to take off, even you know, offering over full price. Sometimes taking out inspection clauses. Uh, and uh, putting down maybe more earnest money or anything to try to get the deal. Uh, it's, it's very challenging, particularly uh, in the suburbs. The city is not so much. Uh, we're not running into multiple offers uh, as much as they are in, uh, in the suburbs on the North Shore of Chicago.
0: Hey, I hope you're enjoying my interview with Sharon Rizzo. Now, here's the thing. Sharon and I, as old friends, have talked for a a long time. And I do think that Sharon um, has so much knowledge that what I've done is we have split the podcast up into two parts. So you have just watched part one. And I would encourage you to go and watch or listen to part two. All right. So it'll be dropped at the same time. Again, if you're enjoying what Sharon and I are talking about, please, please make it a point to go to see part two or watch or listen to part two because um, she gives even more tips and techniques. And I personally have found them very valuable in my life. So I'd love you to join us for part two of Sharon Rizzo. Thanks. Thanks again to our sponsor, I Love Real Estate School. Thanks for tuning in to the Real Estate Roundtable podcast. I hope you enjoyed hearing from our amazing guests and you picked up some valuable tips and insights that you can use in your own real estate business. If you liked what you heard today, please take a moment to like, subscribe, and share our podcast with your friends and colleagues. Your support means the world to us and helps us bring you more great content in the future. And if you're an agent who's interested in coaching, I'd love to hear from you. You can contact me directly through my website, myrealestatesalesmanager.com, or connect with me on social media. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you the next time in the Real Estate Roundtable podcast.